The Drum Candy Podcast is brought to you by Drum Factory Direct. What's up, everyone? Welcome into episode 11 of season two of the Drum Candy Podcast. This is your host, Mike Dawson, coming to you from Drum Factor Direct in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This week's intro beat was sent from an old friend of mine who used to write some articles for Modern Drummer back in the day. Uka, he's down in Recife, Brazil. He wrote some articles on Brazilian drumming for the magazine. So it's good to hear from you, Uka. His beat here, he says he recorded it all with his iPhone, drums, djembe, shaker, and some voice. The rhythm is called a coco, it is from the northeast region of Brazil, and he used some Yamaha drums, African djembe, a shaker, and wood blocks. Very, very cool beat. Thank you, Uka. Great to hear from you. Hope all is going great in your world. And if any of you want to submit a beat, I need some intro beats. So send them over to drumcandypodcast at gmail.com. I don't want the show just to be a bunch of my stuff, so I want to hear from you. Send videos, send audio. It can be mixed, it can be raw, whatever you want to send. Um, and if you don't mind, please try to include some info about what you're playing, the gear you're using, what the concept is. It can all be video or audio, or you can just email it. That's all good, too. So send that all over to drumcandypodcast at gmail.com. Okay, what's new this week? I'm going to mention this again. Stickshed.com is live if you need a place to find whatever drum your favorite drumsticks are. Mallets, brushes, some assorted practice accessories. We have almost everything, I think, from Vic Firth, Zildjian. Promark and Vader. And we've got a bunch of ahead stuff as well. So go over to stickshed.com, create an account, and uh, let us know if you can't find something you're looking for. You can just email um, drumcandypodcast at gmail.com if you have any questions. But yeah, we really want to get some feedback on that site. So check it out, stickshed.com. As far as some new music you might want to check out, The Headhunters just is putting out a new album. It's not out yet, but I got an advance on it. It comes out, looks like November 4th. That is the legendary kind of jazz funk band with Mike Clark playing drums. Actually going to have Mike on the show here in a couple weeks to talk about the making of this record. But um, yeah, be on the lookout for that. The record is called Speakers in the House. Um, it's Mike's killing as always. So we'll, we'll dig more into that when we have him on the show, but just keep an eye out. Next up, uh, Bob Weir of the Grateful Dead. He has a new record that's called Bobby Weir and Wolf Brothers live in Colorado volume two. That features Jay Lane on drums. If you remember Jay Lane from the early days of Primus um, and the band Sausage with Les Claypool, really, really great drummer. I guess he's been working with Bob Weir for, for a number of years. So that record again is called Live in Colorado, volume two. All right, one more new record that's coming out or is actually just out. It's this week's featured artist who we also featured last week, Daduka Da Fonseca. His album is called Yes. I believe it is out now. Um, check it out. It's it's by Daduca de Fonseca and Quarteto Universal. Yes, with three exclamation points. Really, really fantastic Brazilian jazz record. So give that one a listen. And we have two documentaries you might want to be on the lookout for. The first one is Let There Be Drum. That is by Justin Kreutzmann. He is the son of Bill Kreutzmann of the Grateful Dead. That comes out October 28th, it is, let's see, it's got interviews, it's one of the last interviews with Taylor Hawkins, 
Also features interviews with Ringo Starr, Stuart Copeland, Mickey Hart, Bill Kreutzmann, Stephen Perkins, Chad Smith, Matt Sorum, many, many more. So all things drums. It's called Let There Be Drums, and that comes out on Apple TV, Amazon Prime, and it's going to be in theaters as well on October 28th. And then lastly, this is not a drum documentary, but a bass documentary, which is equally as important for us drummers. This is uh, on Daryl Jones. It's called In the Blood. It features interviews with Mick Jagger, Keith Richards, Ronnie Wood, the late Charlie Watts, and many, many more. So be on the lookout for that. Daryl Jones, In the Blood. For the main topic this week and probably the next two weeks, we are going to be discussing what does the species of wood do to the sound of a snare drum? So what I did was I commissioned Chris Carr over at Bucks County Drums to build. He, I said, you, you pick. Pick your woods that you would like to work with that would be best representative of the most readily available domestic species and the most popular domestic species. So in this, we're gonna, I'm going to talk with, with Chris here. I'm going to bring him on. I'm going to talk about the whole thing. But they're identical drums. So the only thing different is the actual wood being made. So we're gonna go through the next couple weeks demoing all six drums, different tunings, trying to find the sweet spot, um, hopefully bring in some guests to do some blindfold tests. So we're gonna have a lot of fun with that. But before we dive into all of that, let's chat with Chris about just how he made these drums and then some of his thoughts on what makes different woods sound the way they do. So here's Chris Carr of Bucks County Drums on the Prime Series Snare Drum Shootout. Between the, yeah, that and the A-ply, but I, I really dig the cherry because it just sounds like a snare drum like that right out of the box, you know? Mm -hmm. It's, it's kind of a little on the brighter side. So, well, so anyway, uh, yeah, yeah, let's get ahead. into it. So we, you built us six identical drums, save for the wood species. That's the only difference. So we can really go super nerdy on what does the different species actually sound like. Um, so let's talk about what is the consistency. So all of these are five and a half by 14 inch drums, correct? Correct. All eight ply, all alternating grain, uh, horizontal inside, uh, same glue, same molds. I think the biggest difference between this, this, uh, comparison to the last comparison we did is that these are, these are done exactly the same. We have better molds and I'm using a new glue and better, uh, clamping system. So the other the other drums are great, but these are just from a builder standpoint more consistent, more straightforward for me to build. I can train other people to do this process more readily. So they they are exactly the same. Straight shell, no re rings. Correct. Bearing edge, you told me, but I don't remember what it was. Forty five. Slight rounder on the outside, and then a forty five. That's my standard. Uh, so yeah, uh, you've got three coats of a, a hard oil finish, and okay. I like this finish because it just really brings out the character of the grain of the wood and lets it glow, but protects it from the inside out. I could put on multiple coats if I want to put on 10 coats, I could do that, but three or four is usually enough, and it's really silky smooth. Yeah, it doesn't even look like there's a finish on it. It looks just like wood. It's great for studio drums because it really lets them speak that much more. Even, yeah. even a hot... You know, even a high gloss finish adds a certain amount of brightness and a certain amount of weight on the shell, like mm. a wrap. Okay. You know, and that's not a bad thing, but so, so yeah, so the only difference is in the species. And you've also got closed grain woods like cherry and maple and birch. There's not a lot of open pores. And then you've got open grain like uh, the ash and the oak, 
was really, really porous. And then the, the, the walnut's kind of in the middle. Mm. It's closed grain, but it's got a lot of open pores as well. And that's kind of what helps give it its characteristics. So the biggest difference in species, and I, I think I should point out to people, is that it's more noticeable, I should say, in toms and in bass drums. In mm. snare drums, when you're tuning at that register, at that pitch, it's much higher tuning generally. And so it's not as noticeable. It's there. Mm. It's there, but it's not as noticeable. Yeah, we'll find out. They all have eight single point lugs, triple right. flange, 2.3 steel hoops, yes. I believe. Did yep. you put 16 wires on these? Exactly. Uh, Evans G1 coated on top, 300 on bottom. What else do we got here? That's kind of, that's all the, the, the specs. Um, let's take a look on the other side. Yeah, so let's go drum by drum and you give me your assessment of what your experience with that wood has done. Um, so let's start sure. with, <laughs> let's start with, let's go like soft to hard and then we can talk about how hardness versus the grain structure affects the sound. Sure. So what's the softest of these six? We have that's that'd be the cherry. Cherry, okay. Yeah, yeah. On the Janka scale, it's nine fifty, but it's a closed grain drum. So you take that hardness and you compare it to uh, African mahogany. It's very similar. It's almost identical, hmm. but you've got a more open. But if you listen to them, they have very similar qualities. But uh, it, it's really nice. So as I said earlier, the the cherry it sounds like a snare drum right out of the box. It's kind of bright. Mm -hmm. It's got a nice punch to it. It's real open sounding, uh, pretty versatile. And um, that translates to, to kits very well to, as well. Uh, up from there, I believe, is the walnut. Mm -hmm. And those are, in that bunch, those are the two extremes, I would say, okay. yeah, in terms of outside the normal. You know, all those drums are actually really close in hardness. Uh, when you look at the whole scale, they're pretty, they're in that middle range, mm -hmm. but cherry. And then you got the walnut. Walnut's got that dark, kind of raunchy, but cool characteristic. It's not going to have as wide a tuning range. It's going to be, you know, it depends on what you want to get. You know, and, and this is just like any voice, you know, people are going to do what they want to do with these things and get the sounds they want to get from them. Uh, up from there, I believe, is uh, the birch. Uh, birch is focused and punchy. Uh, a little drier. Mm. Ash is kind of like uh, maple on steroids. Mm. It's 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 got a little bit higher register bite to it, but it's also super warm and gutsy. And then you got the maple, uh, which we all know what maple does. It's kind of fat and gushy and pretty versatile. Um, I'm finding our our maple shells are super resonant. Uh, you know, so I have to step them up to eight or ten ply. And that's something I'm going to be changing on the website is going to be going all the snares. But instead of six ply with three rings and eight ply, you're going to have eight or ten ply options. It's about the same amount of labor and whatnot, but I just feel it gives a more, uh, it gives a better sound. Interesting. So what, what made you go away from six ply with three rings? It's just too much sound. Mm. I'm getting too much, too much bounce back. You know, uh, I, I, it's kind of like I was getting with the, the, the semi-solid snares. Uh, one, the biggest reason I started making ply drums was the semi-solid drums were great besides the amount of labor involved and, and, and the amount of work involved and, and the time. Um, there was too much sound. It was mm. just, you're getting a lot of sound from those drums. And in a snare drum, you don't need that. You mm. kind of want it to be there and gone unless you're going for a vibe or an effect. 
but you want it to be gone. And so applied drum does that perfectly. And so that's when I started about five years ago. Now I'm messing around with the whole ply, actually six years ago, uh, the, the, the ply format and started working my way through that and then developed this whole new system that's, I just love it. It rivals the semi-solids. I mean, you know, it, it, it gives, I would say, a sound that most drummers are more accustomed to and uh, just, but it projects, gets into the audience, it goes out. And um, I hear that in the mics every day when I'm messing around in here. So, so yeah, so the, the, the differences are subtle. When you take all those drums, which I know you're going to do, and you're going to tune them all the same, mm -hmm. you, they're not going to be drastic differences. When you get into major differences, you're going to go to really extremely softwoods, and you're going to go to really hardwoods, like exotics, like Bubinga or Jatoba, uh, Yellowheart, things like that. You're going to have much more noticeable, but you're also going to get different overtones. Harder the wood, you're going to have a higher overtone. The softer the wood, you're going to have a lower, lower overtone and, and different and whatnot. Uh, and you're going to have a little bit more negatives because of those extremes. Mm. You know, things that you're going to need to learn how to control, whether that's with tuning or muffling or whatever. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of it, it's it's these these are all really usable species i feel you know mm. these are all you can put them in the studio they're really common domestic woods uh your more uncommon ones are like hickory hickory is one of the it's probably the most hardest the hardest domestic wood is actually mesquite but it's a real small wood it's super super hard uh mm. it's not a practical instrument grade type of lumber so hickory would be next and that's difficult to come by okay in, pl in plies so at least for me so far i haven't found anything so I, the oak is funny because I I think of oak being so drastically different than walnut on a hardness perspective. Mm. But you're saying these are all kind of living in that middle world. Yeah, between 900 and, and 1400, 1450 being the maple, the hardest, you know. And then you got the ash, and then you got the birch, you know. And then you got the the walnut, and the cherry. I'm missing one. What am I missing? Oak. Where's that? Oak. Yeah, oak. Oak is right between. You got bur. You got oak ash and birch okay. so it's like bang 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 you know they're, they're like 100 points so what really sets separates them is the species themselves and the porosity the open grainness and there's no sealer on the insides of those shells either uh not, not really necessary on a on a ply drum hmm. unless you want to again go for a vibe or maybe a little more uh volume or something like that so yeah the oak is punchy though it's a little drier um yeah why would you why is a maple fatter sounding than a softer wood like an oak yeah you know uh it, it's it's just the, the the tonality it gives it's that it's the kind of like bubinga you know when you take the harder wood you expect it to have this ring to it but it's got this depth to it right mm -hmm. so generally speaking with an extremely hard wood you can go to a thinner shell but with the maple i'm finding it's kind of a balance um in terms of a really hard wood it's not hard it's 1450 there's mm -hmm. much harder there's woods that are two and three and four times harder but uh yeah it's just got that right combo it's just the species that we've come to know that works and and then you know you find something that with works you don't if it's not broken don't fix it yeah yeah um they're they're really it's got the right combination of hardness and closed grain it's it finishes really nice it gives a lot of resonance certain hardness gives a really nice resonant tone and it's easy to work with and mm -hmm. it's abundant you know, you have to you have to look at it from manufacturer. I'm a big company, you know, I'm a medium small company, but 
from a manufacturer's standpoint, you know, I'm going to go with stuff that's abundant and easy, you know, relatively easy to get and affordable, and then I can keep my cost of my product down. Same with a big company, same thing, and it works. So porosity versus grain structure, what's the what's the difference? Are they the same? Is that the same thing? Well, you've got what they call closed grain, when the grain is more intertwined, and then you get out of the grain when it's more open. But then you got the pores. The pores kind of suck up the sound, kind of like acoustics in a room. Mm. You know, when you have uneven surfaces or you have treatments on your wall, kind of it does the same thing. Or like a hammered shell over, you know, a, a brass or a bronze hammered shell over a straight brass or bronze shell does the same thing, dries it out. So that's what it's going to do, which is really odd about the birch because it's kind of, it doesn't have that upper register that the, the ash has and the ash is open grain. You know, mm. it's got a lot of pores to it, right? So uh, ash was one of the big ones that I fell in love with. It was a big surprise for me. I think you said you liked it too initially. Yeah, when I was just getting these things tuned up, that was the one that I found myself just playing the longest on. That's usually my first test. Like which drum do I end up kind of zoning out on right <laughs> and that was the one like walnut was like cool that sounds great uh cherry was like wow that sounds like an amazing drum and i put the ash on i was like oh let me try messing around for about 10 15 minutes and i didn't even tune those i mean all i did was put the tension watch on it to make sure they were even mm -hmm. i did 75 on the bottom and i think 85 up top or 90 up top something like that which is really the opposite of the way i tune a snare generally but they had the shallower, so and they're a thinner shell, so they're pretty open. You got a single point lug, which keeps them open, and then a medium hoop 2.3 keeps them open. I was going for, I would say, moderately maximum sound, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, that way you could hear the difference more. And you know, when you play these without snares on, you'll be able to hear the tone in the in the tom tom mode, you know. Mm -hmm. So. Well, we're going to dig deep into each one of these over the next few weeks, but. Um... If you had to pick, if you had to guess which one was going to be the um, the taster's choice, which one do you think it would be? Cherry. Cherry? All right. Yeah, just off the top of my head, you know, because it's just different enough, but sweet enough, if that All makes right. sense. That's one yeah. vote for cherry. What would be your second pick? Let's just get to Ash. All right. And then, and then Birch. All right. There you go. Hey, you know, and I love maple, but, you know, it's like maple's been done to death. It's like, yeah, give me something different. Mm -hmm. You know, no, no, you know. So it's like, uh, if these are the, you know, I listen to them under the mics, and this is they speak. You know, so this is what you want um, it, it, as a recording drummer, or if you are a recording drummer, you're going like jazz. Like the nice thing about Cherry is that it can really very easily become a jazz snare mm -hmm. because it's got that brightness to it. You know, but then you can do anything else with it too. So yeah, those are my top three. As far as tuning ranges, what I found with the shallow metal drums was we didn't hear a difference, a discernible difference until you tuned a little bit lower. Um, yeah. Is it going to be the same, do you think, with the wood? Yeah. So a high-tuned yeah. snare drum is a high-tuned snare drum in most cases. In most cases. but when, And like I was saying earlier, when you get into extreme woods like Jatoba, Bubinga, or Poplar, you know, you start getting into really soft woods, basswoods, aspen, whatever you know, pine. I mean, you have to take a popper shell or a pine snare. You have to make that shell thicker. So what are you doing? You're increasing the pitch of the shell mm. to negate and offset the, the tubbiness of it, right? Or the, the softness of it. So it's it's a balance. And my feeling is this, that ply shells, a well-made ply shell is always going to be king. It's always going to be most versatile. It's always going to be most consistent. It's always going to be most reliable. Mm. 
And, and while the differences are more subtle when you tune them up, it's still most reliable. Uh, but it was like, again, when you get into tom-toms, you take a walnut tom versus, you know, a maple tom, it's night and day. Uh, you know, it's, so it, it has a lot to do with the tuning range. Yeah, absolutely. All right, last couple of questions here. If, if I fell in love with the cherry snare, would yes, you be, can buy it. <laughs> would it be logical <laughs> for me to then say, why don't I get a cherry kit and get the same results? Or would it be, would you suggest mixing it with something else? You can mix that with anything. However, our cherry eight-ply drums are fantastic. I was, the first cherry uh, generation I made was all six-ply with re-rings, and they sounded good. I found going up to an eight-ply without a re-ring was just magical. It was amazing, the, the difference night and day. Um, the yellow sparkle lacquer kit I just built for artist Rick Lawton, uh, it's on our Instagram page, has an amazing tone to it. Just really open, just full sustain. You could do anything with it as a really versatile tuning range. It just blew me away. Um, yeah, I mean, people don't be afraid to mix and match. Mm. I would love to see like a cherry snare with an ash kit. You got a nice, even a natural finish, a nice contrast there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you could finish them however you want. All right. Now, then the next logical progression would be if, let's say you absolutely loved, I'm looking at the cherry and the walnut. Those two, you're like, I love them. Let's put them both in one shell. Would that be a disaster? Mixing and matching these species? No. Uh, oh, it can be. You know, it, 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 that's a combination I probably would not do. Mm. They would. I don't think they would jive real well together, just off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. But like maple poplar, we know that works. I've been working with walnut and poplar, really good results, and uh, just glued up a snare with its maple and walnut. So that's, mm. you know, I'm excited about listening to that. You, you're either better doing extremely hard and extremely soft or very, very close. Another combination, well, I don't want to give away all my secrets. I have another combination I'll be working on pretty soon that I'm excited about. But you have to be, you have to just try it. It's expensive to try it. Mm. It's time. But sometimes they're magical. You know, I was really blown away by the uh, the walnut popper. That that was exciting. It's fat. It's got great attack. It's punchy, and it's versatile. It has a pretty wide tuning range. Um, but even if it doesn't have a wide tuning range, if you get two or three sounds out of it that you're really happy with, and especially if you're a recording drummer, then that, then that's all you need. And most guys, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to every gig and retuning my kit every time. <laughs> no, never. I'm, I'm, I'm getting, yeah, I'm getting a tuning I'm really happy with. And if I'm playing blues, then it works. If I'm playing rock and roll, it works. Yeah. You know, just get them, get them sound. You got a good sounding drum, you can play anything. You know, as long as the drummer's competent. I'm not competent. You're competent. You know. <laughs> you know? Well, I'm excited to put these things to the test. So we'll have tons of, of demos and comparisons. I'm going to go full tuning range on each one of these things, so we can hear what, you know, how high they can go and how low they can go and what falls in between. We'll let everyone listening pick their winners, and then um, we might cool. be having all these drums up for sale. So stay tuned on that. <laughs> that, would be, that would be cool. Just let me know. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Chris. All right, brother. I'll see you. All right. I know that probably felt like a teaser with no demos to show this week, but we're going to have plenty of demos to explore over the next couple episodes. So stay tuned for that. All right. Let's get back to our featured interview. This is part two of... Uh, Tom Wendt interview with great Brazilian jazz drummer, Deduca da Fonseca. That's okay. I tell you what, 
talk about when when you started teaching at Drummers Collective in New York because you were there as you almost, said for like twenty years, almost, right? You know, like uh, Bob Winner, oh, okay. my dear friend Bob Winner, and the co-author of the book that we have, the Brazilian Rhythms, yes. for drum set. For drum you set, you know, it yes. took us four years to do the book, you know. And now Bob Winner, say <laughs> because Bob is the intellectual guy, you know, and besides being a fantastic player, yes. And my brother, you know, we're mm-hmm. so good friends. You know, I love him so much, and he love we were like brothers, you know. And uh, he say, "Do Duke, you gotta teach here at Drummer's Collect." I said, "Bob, I never taught before. I never te- to teach before, and uh, I don't think it's a good idea." I don't read music, I never teach. You gotta teach, you gotta teach, you gotta. He stayed two years on my case or something like that. You gotta teach. Wow. And then I said, okay. Since I, uh, when I started, I was like insecure. So I took a percussion player with me. The first one that I took was a Ciro okay. Batista. He's a Ciro, you know, is a guy that played percussion. Excellent, a good friend. We had a band together. Yes. You know, for mm-hmm. many years, New York samba band, and I took him because it felt more comfortable for me. You know, explaining things with, between drums and percussion, and then I started to feel more confident. You know, and then I took Guilherme Franco, also another great percussion player. You know, Absolutely. and uh, it was great. I saw the interaction in Bayon between uh, you know the percussion and. Uh, and in samba and this and partido alto and whatever you know maracatu whatever the rhythms and uh, I said okay and then I started to feel better and more confident you know that insecurity went away and I started going to start to teach yeah. by myself you know and it was great because it gave me much more knowledge what I was doing since I never had a formal study. I never studied formally, you know, mm-hmm. it started to give more knowledge because these students ask, what are you doing with your right hand? What are you doing with your left hand? I said, I don't know. So I need yeah. to stop and think, you know, <laughs> what I was doing. Yeah. And then I show a pattern with the right hand. I show a pattern with the left hand. And then the next day, one student come, hey, Duduka, how about if you mix that pattern of, of the right hand, the second pattern with that pattern, the left hand? I said, man, that sounds better than I was, you know. They start to mixing things, you know. <laughs> and uh, yeah. mm-hmm. so it was a great experience, you know. And uh, I'm very fortunate to, 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 to teach there for 16, 17 years, you know. But in the end, I, I wow. think I still teaching when I go out, you know, to do master class. But I love when I go to Europe or someplace. But even in the United States, you know, but I, lo- I love to do with a rhythm session because I can show the pattern on the drums. And then I can see that how it can work yep. with the bass and piano or guitar and piano. Or, yes. Uh, and that's yeah. the way I start, you know, at Drummers Collect. And then. I stayed there for, wow. you know, I told you 16, 17 years. And um, and then my younger yeah. daughter born, and Isabella, that's now 24. Uh, 20, and uh, yeah. I, you know, I, I started to think I'm repeating too much myself, you know. And I wasn't feeling good with that ah. because I found a formula that works, 
you know, yes. about sticking and orchestration. I can send to you. You're going to see it's good. Once you learn, once you learn a sticking, yeah, yeah. by the way, you orchestrate around the drums, you can create different patterns, different yes. textures and everything. It really works. Mm-hmm. But I said, after a few years, I said, yeah. boy, I'm repeating too much myself. Even though it's a valid thing, you know, I said, I, I think mm-hmm. I was feeling a little anxiety. Or, I said, you know what? I think it's better for me to take a time. And my daughter was born in two, yeah. a younger daughter, Isabella. Yeah, I said, yeah. I'm going to take time. I take a time. And then, and the book, well, you, you know, that I did with Bob. We did together. Was like he used to come to my basement. On uh, I had a basement studio in the basement of uh, in the West Village, and he used to come. I play. He take notes. I play. He take notes. I play. He take notes. We talk about things. You know, we stay there. And uh, after years of that, you know, doing that, uh, we went to the studio, a very fun studio downtown uh, uh, New York, Manhattan. And Bob said, yep. okay, let's do it. And it was like 106, yeah. 107 exercise pattern exercise. And Bob, a lot. And Bob there's was a, in the booth, you know, and say, okay, exercise yeah. number whatever, X, with the hi-hat zero, zero. Yeah. And then he count one, two, yeah. one, two, three, four, tuck, scat, tuck, whatever, you know, what was. Yeah. Forks Drum Closet, Nashville's full-line drum store. Celebrating its 40th year in business, Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instrument, Forks has something for every drummer. They also offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street in Nashville, Tennessee, or call 615-383-8343, or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. You know, we should probably let people know that, you know, the book you're talking about is Brazilian Rhythms for Drum Set, which which you put out with, with Bob, which is really... It's sort of the you know the the modern day Bible of, oh, of thank Brazilian you. Thank you. you know drumming for 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 drum set. Oh man, it's a it's a marvelous book. I use it myself. And uh, if 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 you don't own it, all the drummers who might be watching and listening, yeah. you definitely need to get a copy of it because you will you you will learn all of the you know, essentials. This is of good. This music. The book, you know, Tom, is still selling today. You know, so we did good. that. And we did so many, we spent so much time, you know, it took us four years to do the thing. So, and we sent, uh, I sent to Antonio Carlos Jobim, I sent to Ayrton, and we sent to Steve Gadd for them to write, you know. And I didn't send sure. to Steve Gadd. Ciro Batista was playing with Paul Simon. He gave the blueprint of the book to Steve. And Steve... Wow. You know, he read the whole thing because said everything sounds good. But and John Riley had done the transcription, the final transcriptions. Because John can hear okay. everything, you know, he's great. He's excellent. He's very good. And as yeah. Steve said, on page twenty two and twenty three, we have a little mistakes, you know, in the writing. You know, 
and it was. So wow. it's because he saw, he wow. read the thing, and he said on page 23, everything is good. On page 23, you can fix that, no problem. And also the second thing is, yeah. if you're playing 2-4, why are you counting 4-4? Four, four? Because Bob used to count one, two, one, two, three, four, dagaraga, 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 you know. And I said, Bob, he's right. I said, no, no, no. Because when you're in the uh, live gig, you know, we usually count one, two, one, two, three, four, whatever, and play samba, you know, or bayan or whatever you play. Right, But right. if you're doing a book, if you're playing two, four, and you, you write in four, four, you know, the eight notes are going to become a 16 notes. You know, it's going to double the value, you know. And I said, and yes. Bob was, no, Duduk, we don't need it. Don't because at that time, Tom, we didn't have uh, Pro Tools. We're talking about the 90s, you know, mm -hmm. early 90s. We didn't have Pro yeah. Tools. So what, and I insist, no, Bob, I'm going to do it. 106, 107 exercise, you know. So I need to go. I had a code. I need to go to the studio. They put the exercise, the pattern that I played in the middle. So I count one, two, one, mm -hmm. and two, and tactic, one, two, one, and two, and. And then I yes. did that. And with the mouse of the Macintosh, they pull my, uh, from the dash, they pull my voice for right before the exercise. It took, it took 72 hours, ah. what now would take like one hour, one and a half wow. hours. It took 72 hours to do that. Anyway, I did, and I came Man. home. At that time, my 41-year-old daughter, Alana, was nine years old or something like that. And uh, I show her, look, I redid all the countings. Check it out. See if you like. One, two, one. I said, Dad, because her mother, you know, she's American, her mother. This is not two. It's two. One, two, I said, come on, give me a break, you know. <laughs> it's not two. I said, no, no, now it's done. And so we did that. If you notice, yeah. you know, uh, you have that counting, you know, that uh, sometimes is uh, a oh, little, yeah. the precision yep. is not 100% because, you know, but because you, need, yeah. you didn't have the Pro Tools or elements, you know, technological elements to do in a faster uh, but, but I think, I think it's, it's good, good enough, enough. <laughs> and then you know uh, we did yeah, that yeah. and uh, and uh, I'm very happy you know and Bob too and uh, I think uh, we helped you, you know book, many people we we told uh, we also did a lot of re research in the history of Brazilian music you know which is very yeah. important it's yeah, very important you know to yes you know, anyone that's uh, that's uh, attempt to play Brazilian music, I think it's very important to to research, you know, to go through the history, how yes. the things, not just from Bossa Nova, but from much before. Because uh, what most of people are not aware is that uh, since the early 20th century, Brazil, like 1911, 1912, or that time, uh, 
Brazil was exporting machixe, was a rhythm that uh, was before samba, you know, was exporting to the United States. Ernesto Nazaré, a composer, was composed and sent this music. And the Castle Brothers, you even can find the Castle Brothers, they were uh, dancers. They used to dance to those uh, yes. uh, Brazilian songs, you know. So it goes back. Yes, it absolutely. Goes back, I'm very familiar. Like from the beginning of the 20th century. And then after that, we had the Carmen Miranda in the 40s, the phenomenon Carmen Miranda. And then we had the Bossa Nova in the 60s. And then we have the revival of Bossa Nova and the Samba Jazz, you know, in the 80s, you know, or something like that. So it's a... Yeah. But before that, you know, it's fascinating to see the history of, of Brazilian music, you know, to, to read. And I, yeah, I read when sure. we were doing Emily Morfield, you know, wrote the introduction. But we got many times together because I use a book by, uh, I forgot, I use this book here, you know, uh, Dicionário Musical Brasileiro by Mario oh, de Andrade. Wow. It's a thick book, you know. And they have all yeah. the. Yeah. All the. You know, the elements, you know, not all, but a lot, you know, of the elements of, uh, mm -hmm. like, for instance, all the elements of uh, Brazilian, you know, like uh, rhythms and uh, partida, partitura. They had something I, I want to show, but uh, it's hard to find now. You know, about Partido Alto. But it's a That's great okay. book. That's all right. You know. And uh, I could not recommend yeah. more. Yeah, for but sure. But you need to read Portuguese, you know. Mário de Andrade was a great writer and a yeah. researcher of music all over Brazil. And he has a collection of folkloric gotcha. Brazilian music, you know, that he recorded by traveling wow. Brazil. And record with uh, yeah. equipment. I think he import from Switzerland. Uh, recording, you know, the very old, yeah. you know, uh, Switzerland record, yeah. like kind of Naima or whatever was the name. You know, it's very it's very similar to the, the yes, folk wave you know, recordings. And here you in know the what? States. Another important thing. You know, my mind is flying. But you know, when the first uh, American jazz tune. <laughs> was recorded in 1917, you know, is right, You know when the, the yes. first samba was recorded in Brazil? 1917, the no. same year, by Donga. Really? Pelo Telefone, Pelo wow. Telefone ah. is the name of the song, by the telephone. Okay. Pelo Telefone. So it's a very coincidence. Wow. And I think the the union, yeah, that's you amazing. know, the mixing of the Brazilian and the jazz music is fantastic. Because they, they used to ask to Jobim. Yeah. Uh, but uh, your music uh, have some jazz elements. They said, look, I like very much jazz. But like Gershon, many, you know, Duke Ellington, many composers, you know, American composers, I also listen to Chopin, mm -hmm. to Debussy, to Ravel, 
So those chords with nine, wow. you know, and things, I heard from classical music, yes. you know, because he wrote classical music, you know. Yeah, yeah. And has a lot of classical influence, like uh, Americans, besides the African rhythms that they both have, sure. even from mm -hmm. different parts of Africa, from the African continent, you know, have a lot of harmonic, you know, European you know, East and Western European influence. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah. yes. Well, that's why I think it is so beautiful. The, you know, you see Miles Davis record Brazil album of Brazilian music, you know, so many are Bill Evans, you know, and so many sure. great artists, you know, it's a very the, big part of American music Stengat, now. Yeah. And the yeah. Stengats was the one, you know, I had the privilege to play with him and Astrid, you know, when I was playing with Astrid. Yes. Was the one that through that album, Get yes. Suberto, was able to, you know, make the Bossa Nova worldwide famous, you know. But before that, Bossa Nova in the late yeah. 50s was already a big hit. And was created in Rio de Janeiro, like a choro music that uh, was before Bossa Nova was created in Rio. Rio was the capital mm -hmm. of Brazil before Brasilia. You know, when I was born, Brasilia became the capital in 1960. Yes. But before that was Rio de Janeiro. And Rio was the cultural center yeah. of Brazil and used to export music to all over Brazil. So things uh, change, yeah. but uh, uh, now, you know, Sao Paulo and Bahia and, you know, they have their own, you know. But Rio yeah. at the time, Rio was... Uh, and the samba too, the samba, you know, was, you know, it came from Africa and was developed to Bahia and was developed in Rio de Janeiro. So no yeah. one plays samba the way we play the style that we play in Rio de Janeiro, not because I'm from Rio, but it's different. I'm not judging <laughs> which is better, which is not better. Sure. In Sao Paulo and all over Brazil, sure. they have great musicians that play yeah. fantastic, you know. Yeah. But Rio was the... Yeah. Yes, you know, tell me. No, no, no. I was just going to say, you know, speaking of 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 American musicians, you know, the last time, uh, you know, that I saw you in person, we were both on the same bill at uh, Manchester Craftsman's oh. Guild. We were playing with the great Rufus Reed, and and you actually, you 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 gave me probably the best piece of advice I've ever gotten about playing Brazilian music. You were talking about how a lot of times American drummers, when they play the bass drum, they play the Sometimes, notes too yeah. close together. And you were you were telling me yes, you yes. were saying think of it like it's in six eight you know one two three four five six one two three four yeah. five six that's one of the best pieces of advice I ever got could you could you talk a little bit about some of the some of the important elements of playing that kind of music on the drums you know what are what are what are some of the things people uh, well, should, so should, many should things, know about you know, it's so many things you know the for me yeah, the know, guy that uh, <laughs> was like uh, our Brazilian. Kenny Clark and Roy Haynes and Max Roche was uh, the great innovator was Edson Machado. Because before, like in jazz, we used to play the 
drums, around the drum, uh, uh, samba, around the drums, you know, and the cymbal just to mm -hmm. make some accents, you know. But we used to play in the snares, you know, ah. like some takara, you know. And the history said that uh, Edson Machado was playing in a dance ball and he was playing the snares and the drums using the cymbals to play melodic, just the accents, and his snare broke the head. So everything he was doing the snare, he started doing the cymbal. And he was the first oh, one wow. that introduced, that's a little polemic there. Some people say that was Godofredo, some uh, about the bass drum, the ostinato, dun 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 to incorporate that, because people used to play like, mm -hmm. the bass drum, like the sur. Like, like the, the surdu. One, two, one, and not two, you know, one, you know, yeah. two. And then Machado decided to do, to do, to do, to do. And then, in 1964, in our album Rio 65 Trio, with Dom Salvador and Sergio Barroso, he, he started to use the bass drums to play melodic accents. That was amazing. Oh, wow. You yeah. know, so just playing, if you hear that album, yeah. look for Rio 65 Trio with Dom Salvador, Edson Machado, and Sergio Barroso Neto. It's an amazing album. You know, it's a, yeah, it's a and great from that point on, yeah. in the seventies, I started to experience doing that, to use the bass drum, just playing melodic accents. When I come to American seventy-five and I start wow. to play with American musicians, non-Brazilian musicians, they ask me, "Can you play the ostinato in the bass drum?" I said, "Because we can't understand very much. You know, we need that foundation." I said, "Okay, so." I have nothing against playing the Ocinato on the wow. bass drum. It's fine. But mm -hmm. it's also fine to use the bass drum once you really know the foundation of the music. To use the bass drum, you can feather mm -hmm. the Ocinato feather like you do playing straight ahead and then play accents, you know. That was one of the first things I noticed when I got a chance to see you play live. I was I was fascinated by that fact that you weren't playing that ostinato because all the time. I had you, never seen like that before. You're gonna take away from the bass player, you know. In a situation like that with Rufus, it's a matter of fact, you know. We have an album I did with Rufus. Well, it's coming out right now yes. on Sunnyside, also with a string quartet. Yeah. Uh, serious string quartet. Yes. And it's very good because I had uh, a chance to play some straight ahead with a great bass player. But before that, the first uh, bass sure. player that I had to play, and I played in his group for like four years, three, four years, was Eddie Gomez, you know. was the first time that uh, I played with a great bass player playing straight ahead. And... He's very much different than mm -hmm. Rufus playing. Even Rufus is a big fan of Eddie Gomez, and vice versa, I believe. You know, right? It's a very two different conceptions. Mm -hmm. And 
for me to play with those guys. Yeah. Because when you come to another country and you're Brazilian, they stamp, okay, Brazilian music, and then they start to call you to do the Brazilian, you know, recording, which is fine. I did uh, with Phil Woods, with Jerry Mulligan, sure. with all those guys. It's fine. With Schofield, with many of yeah. them. It's fine. But I love to play straight ahead, too. Yeah. And thank God I had a chance to play and record. I record a few albums with Rufus, you know, and playing straight ahead. And I had the chance also to share with him and the great Steve Ali, piano player, uh, a little knowledge that I have, some knowledge that I have of Brazilian music, you know. So to tell them, you know, because they ask sure. me, is that okay? Is that okay? Is that okay? And I had the knowledge. I had the, the I was able to to play playing with them, not talking much, but playing. They understand the and what's a bayon. They didn't know exactly what was a bayon, you know, from the northeast of Brazil. And I brought some tunes, especially on the first album that we did. It's called Rufus Reed Out Front Trio. It's just the trio. That I brought some mm -hmm. tunes like uh, right. Samba, Partido Alto, Baião. So, and it was a learning experience for both sides. For me to play with great American musicians, because yeah. it's different, Tom. When you play samba with Brazilian musicians, yeah. is one thing. Is one thing. With musicians that you like, is one thing. When you play jazz with Brazilian musicians, it's not the same as you playing jazz with American musicians. It's another thing. Also, when you play jazz sure. or when you play uh, Brazilian rhythms with American musicians, you need naturally to do accommodation, you know, which is fine because my mm -hmm. goal is to blend, to mix in equal parts those rhythms, which is fine. So it's always yeah. a learning experience, sure. you know, and... Uh, yeah, I just man. love doing that, you know. And... No, it's I, I. I think I think you you have done that better than than uh, than almost everyone, as far as you know. The drummers from Brazil, you know, you you you're you're one of the great you know masters of that music. But you, as you said, you have such a love for Straight Ahead and such a great understanding yes, of it. You've really but been able like to like I said, Tom. It's important. I don't want to sound like a teacher or a repeating machine. For no. every drummer, every musician, not just drummer, interest to play Brazilian music, that's non-Brazilian, can be French, can be German, can be American, can be anyone. Go look at the history of the music. Learn how the people used to play before. You know, from the first recording, 1917, learn how the drums used to be played. Until today, mm -hmm. the evolution of the drum. If you can speak Portuguese, it's even better. Because speaking Portuguese, you're going <laughs> to 
somehow the language, it helps you to understand the culture more. Yes. And if you can go to Brazil, uh, not yes, right now, the totally president right. is terrible, you know. <laughs> Wait for the next president. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry about some people that uh, <laughs> don't, uh, but the, the okay. president uh, for me is not good. He 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 doesn't uh, uh, yeah, support the either. arts. <laughs> he cut the culture minister. Minis, uh, how I say ministry of culture, culture, you know, thing. The the movies, you yes. know, he doesn't. You know, he used to be from the army, you know. Yeah. And he's a very tough guy. Yeah. And yeah, he wants to be a tropical whatever. I'm not going to say the yeah. name because some people here are Republicans, you know, but so it's <laughs> bad I don't get in, in problem. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> That's okay. Um, I, I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about some of the things you've been doing recently. And I wanted to start by, I know you've had this group for a while, but could you talk about uh, Trio de Pies with Trio de uh, Homero and, and Nielsen. That's such it's a wonderful like we've group. been over 30 years together since 1986. That makes us 34 years together. It's like a marriage, you know? Wow. Like an old marriage. That is. Yeah, but sometimes a, we fight time. a lot. Yeah, trio of peace, right? Together. Trio of peace. <laughs> like any man, but we love each other. <laughs> we just play. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, we play a wicked thesis. Yeah, and this time, is... usually Joe Locke, Claudio Roditi, yeah. Joe Locke before, Claudio Roditi, and uh, Harry Allen, and uh, Harry, ha Allen ha Harry Allen, Harry, my yeah. wife, Maousha Jinea, Trio da Paz and Friends. This time, Randy Brecker was supposed to play, but yeah. um, he had some, you know, traveling he really wanted to do, but he had some, uh, and uh, so we call... Yeah. A great guy that's a piano player from Brazil and accordion player. So it changed completely the vibe of ah. the trio when we play together. Wow. We play songs just the trio and we play with him. Yes. Since he's from a very much younger generation. Wow. Because in the trio, Nilson is the older one. Mm -hmm. He's a couple of years older than me. I'm 71, and Homer is the younger one. You know, it doesn't look that way, but that's mm -hmm. the way it is. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> since uh, uh, Vitor Gonçalves is you. his name, he's from a younger generation. He's 40 years old or 40-something. You know, he has some new mm -hmm. uh, harmonic conceptions in mind and things like that. So he took uh, out in a very yeah. good way, you know, like say Trio da Paz from the comfort zone that we played yeah. together for so long. And it gave you a lot, yeah. a different perspective, you know, sure. it, uh, it made us to reach for something else, yes. which was a great learning experience. Yeah. And it was great to play with him. And his accordion That's player wonderful. is amazing. And the yeah. sound, you know, I, I love, and he's yeah. from Brazil. He understand all the, you know, because some of, of the other guys, Harry Allen is great because Harry study and Harry understand Brazilian music, you know, and Claudio too. But some of uh, the guys, yes. they play yes. Uh, yes. in 2-4, but they think in 4-4. Four, four. They don't think in 2-4. Four, four. 
they thinking fall for it. And, uh, gotcha. you know, that's one thing that uh, I insist, you know, I think is fine. Even when you tap your foot, you know, don't do it like uh, do like yeah like for the piano player for instance if he's not using too much the sustain pedal which is yes. a problem sometimes you know <laughs> yeah yeah let's 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 kind of wrap up by talking about your brand new record that's going to be out in October, could you talk about that? It, it's a it is. really great you know, project I love with your those, quartet. Uh, yeah, those guys they moved to New York before the pandemic. You know, in 2019, uh, one study at the uh, New School, fantastic mm-hmm. guitar player from São Paulo. I seen the same mm-hmm. level as Romero, as Chico yes, Pinheiro, uh, those Brazilian guys. These guys, Vinícius Gomes, he's amazing, and the bass player. He used to live in uh, yeah. Germany, in Berlin, and then he used to live a lot in France, mm-hmm. in Paris. So he moved here gotcha. before the pandemic too. And one time I, w- I went to see a friend of mine uh, playing at Central Park, Dom Salvador, the piano player. And after that, we are hanging together. Mm-hmm. At yes. Central Park this summer, like a couple of years ago or something. And uh, so let's have a beer. Salvador, I mean, he's 84 now. You know, he took so long for him to get dressed, wow. to change his clothes, you know. Like, uh, anyway, but then we went <laughs> yeah. out, and Vinicius, the guitar player, and Gilly, they came to me. And said to Duca, we want to play with you. Can we rent a studio and we play? Wow. And I felt very flattered. You know, I wrote that in the liner notes. You know, I felt, my God, those young uh, guys, yes. you know, is very good. And I said, instead of rent a studio, how about we do a few rehearsals at my house, you know, because I have a Fender Rolls here and do snare, just to get the form of the tunes and the tunes, mm-hmm. and my ideas that I have in mind, and then we start sure. to get gigs, like underground gigs. I'm talking about place in Queens, place in Brooklyn, place, sure. beautiful place, but underground. It's not like this is club or the Blue Note. Yeah. Or we, we just want to play. And we play, yes. and the bass player recorded yeah. every time we played. So I listen to everything, and that makes me wow. aware of what was working, what was not working. And then I start to play, play, and rehearse and rehearse. Oh. So I start to select a repertoire. And then I did something that I learned from Herbie Man, from yeah. the time that I used to play with the late Herbie Man. You know, we start playing together, Trio da Paz and Herbie Man, and he said, Let's do an album. In fact, it wasn't three that pies. It was Romero, me, uh, Mark Soskin, and Paul Sokolov. And Claudio Roditi did a couple tracks oh, yeah. as a special guest. And then Herbie said, we are going to Hawaii. We are going to spend a lot of time on the road. And he said, before we traveling, I want to do an album. I said, but Herbie. Why don't you wait? You know, we're going to be playing every night, you know, for like a couple months. 
is going to sound much better when we come back. And he said to me, sure. it was a lesson he told me. That's why I record with my quartet, thanks to Herbie Mann. He said, yes, Duduka, we might be playing better, but wow. the freshness that we're having now, it will never happen again. It's like, it's like if you want to have a oh, seat, wow. when you meet someone that you love, you know, you know the first months, of the relationship, sure. the first year, you know, things change and much even get get got get better with the time, yes. you know, or a friendship. Yeah, things yep. change, you know, but it never gonna be the same as it was in the Absolutely. beginning. Document, I learned that yeah, from you. Him. Wanted to document, and I said, let's part. record yeah. now. So I meet the guys in wow. oh in the summer of 2021, yeah. and I record in, it was in September I think, and I, we start gigging in October, and I record the album on April 25 and 26 of 2022. By then I have a clear idea of what mm-hmm. to do, and also what I try to do since the quartet. Sometimes, I don't know if you notice, in some tunes, for instance, a tune by Hermeto Pascual called Montreux, which is a place in Switzerland. I said, let's try that. The piano plays the entire melody. When come on eight bars in the bridge, the guitar plays, you know, with the piano. And then get out, just eight bars. Then the piano keep playing, and then a bass solo with just piano, yeah. bass, and drums. And then, out of nothing, the guitar start the solo, you know, to change, to give a different texture, to live, you know, yeah. to juggle a little bit with the instruments. Absolutely. So with not, it's not going to be the same texture the whole time. You can, you know... Course. In a subtle way, without compromising the music, you can do that. To is a yes. different colors. It's a different color. A lot of different colors. And, and, and the way you're utilizing everything. Took me a long time. Yeah. To not a long time, but must to figure out what I want to do. And also, one thing that I didn't want to do is to over to emphasize the Brazilian rhythms. No, let's play more loose. Let's play one way that uh, is that mix that I told yeah, you, that yeah. Brazilian with the jazz. Let's play that way, you know. You don't need to play that to do, to do, to do. The bass is doing that yes. already. You know, let's play loose on top of that. Yeah. Not wow. very loose, respecting the foundation, of course. You got to yeah. respect the foundation. You don't want to reinvent the wheel, you know. But you can take chance, you know. Sure, it's a it's a fantastic record. And Sunnyside it's going to be out Records on October twenty first, right on Sunnyside. The Records. name of the album is under my name, Duduca da Fonseca, and Quarteto, which means quartet, Quarteto Universal, Universal. Which uh, the the idea it sounds a little pretentious, yes. Quarteto Universal, but Universal. When I thought about uh, giving this name to the group. Quartet Universal. Universal is something that everyone 
has access. Every people, you, me, the people in yeah. the corner here, the people in the corner there, everyone is supposed to listen <laughs> and have access. Yep. You know, that's uh, what I uh, yeah. want to that's achieve. That's a beautiful thing, man. That's, and, that's a... Yes. Yeah, yes. And, and, and the name of the album is Yes, yes right? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good name <laughs> for the you. record because when Thank I listened to listening. it I said Thank that a lot <laughs> alright now let's shift gears a bit here is a lesson that I made on how to use the flam taps in more creative ways this week we're going to take a look at the flam tap and some ways that we can create syncopated odd groupings by just adding an extra tap to the rudiment before we get there let's review what the flam tap is the flam tap is a flam followed by a tap with the same hand and then repeated with the other hand flam and then a tap with the same hand so right flam right tap left flam left tap or the opposite left hand left tap right flam right tap and those flow well together. It creates this back and forth pendulum. Or other hand. Now, it's almost always taut with the flam on the downbeat. Two, three, four, one, two, three, four. But if you start with the tap, it'll displace the flam tap to be on the E's and U's. One E and a, two E and a, three E and a, four E and a. So again, that was a right tap to offset, and then the flam start with the left. Right, left, left, right, 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 right. One E and a, two E and a, three. All right, so what's an exercise that you can practice to get from playing them on the downbeat to the offbeat? Do a measure of regular flam taps, and then when you get to beat one of the second measure, just add an extra tap with the opposite hand. So one E and a, two E and a, E and a, four E and a, right tap, and then we start playing the flam taps on the E's and U's. So that's a two bar cycle. Let's try it. One E and a, ready, go. One E and a, two E, a, three E, four E and a, one E and a, two E and a, three E and a, four E and a. Now what do you do? To get to the third measure, since that second measure ends on a flam, you just do an alternating flam, and now you start the whole exercise on the left side. So now with the left, one E and a, two E and a, and a, four E and a, tap E and a, two E and a, three E and a, four E and a. So the whole thing is a four bar cycle. Now let's try the whole thing, four bar phrase. One E and a, two E and a, ready and a, go E and a, and a, two E and a, three E and a, four E and a, one E and a, two E, three E and a, four E and a, one E and a, two E and a, three E and a, four E and a, one E and a, two E and a, three, a four E and repeat it and a two E and a three, four E and a one E and a two E and a three E and a four E and a one E and a two E and a and a four E and a one E and a two E and a three E and a four E and a one. 
right, now let's shorten the phrase. We're just going to do two beats of each variation. So one E and a, two E and a, switch E and a, two E and switch E and a, two E and a, three E, four E and a, one. Try that. One, two, ready, go. One E and a, two E and a, three E and four E and a, one E and two E and a, three E, four E and repeat it. Now, if you shorten it down to just one beat before you flip it, it's going to be a five note grouping. This will be flam, tap, flam, tap, and an extra tap with the opposite hand to throw it to the offbeat. That's five sixteenth notes. It's an interesting phrase. What we're going to do here is we're going to repeat the fives until you get to the end of two measures. And at the end of two measures, you have an extra flam tap to play, which will then flip you over to the opposite hand. So very slowly, one E and a two E. A three E and a four E and a one E and a two E and a three E and four E flam tap flip E and a two E a three E and a four E and a one E and a two E and a three and a four E flam tap back to the beginning. It's a pretty tricky phrase because you have five sixteenth notes cycling over two bars. So take your time with it. Count it out loud. Write it out if you need to. Um, eventually, you'll memorize the way that this thing flows. And also, there's some muscle memory with how it feels in your hands. So trust your hands once they kind of learn the pattern. Let's try it again just a little bit faster. One E and a two E and a three E and a four E and a and a two E and a three E and a four E and a two E and Tap one E and a two E and a three E and four E and one E and a two E and a three E and a four E. Flam tap one. Hopefully you're following along. You can see the potential here for this to really open up a lot of creative options with the flam tap, so they don't always have to be played so downbeat heavy. Even if you just focus on those first exercises with getting the offbeat version, one E, two E. There's a lot you can do when you start messing around with the kit, and then especially when you start internalizing this five. That has like a certain flow to it. Which is really cool. So we'll get into this stuff on the kit in a later, a later lesson. But for now, try these exercises. Again, go super slow, use a metronome, count out loud, um, and then have fun with it. See you next time. All right, now it's time to head back over to Hawthorne Drum Shop for our shop talk section. This week, we are checking out a vintage pearl wood fiberglass kit. What do we have here? This is a pearl wood fiberglass. The year is, I'm going to guess, mid-70s. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. I, you know, the thing with the year is that's a question that we get a lot. I think it applies. I don't trust, like, catalog, not catalogs, like you know, those, those serial charts and everything. Yeah. Like, so definitely 1970s. Um, if you're not like familiar with drums and like catalogs, which I'm really not, to be honest, there's kind of some giveaways. The rap, mm. definitely kind of like a psychedelic style rap. That's why I said 70s, otherwise yeah. I would have said right. early 80s. So that's, you, know, you kind of look at the badges, kind of a 70s style badge as well. But, um, yeah, these are, they made uh, maple shells, I think, 
towards the end of the 70s, maybe they did the maple. They did a fiberglass, like an all fiberglass shell, and then they made a combo, fiberglass wood, which is what these are. It's not maple though, right? It looks like it's it's um, luon. Probably luon, yeah. Because it looks like vertical grain luon. So they, you were saying they laid it up like wood and then a coating of fiber. Yeah, I was looking at these and I haven't like done a deep dive, but it looks like they would do like a ply of wood, then like, I wouldn't even want to call it a ply, a layer of like fiberglass. Yeah. Because you can see like, and it's, it's not like the cleanest looking interior of a shell. Um, it's pretty, it's pretty rough. Yeah. I would definitely put coated heads on this. <laughs> They're cool. They're really loud. Um, most thicker drums are pretty loud, pretty bombastic. Uh, I just, the rap and like this style rap, like the, it just, the strata just always gets me. It looks like they were borrowing some Rogers style stuff. Like you've got the tom arms or, or, or whatever sort of Rogers like. This was before they went to the dreaded, like, holes in pearl mat. <laughs> you know what I'm talking hole. about, right? Yeah. You know, you see, oh, look at that. Oh, no. <laughs> you know. Yeah, so they're kind of, like, not as ugly. Uh, yeah, they got the hex. And we were talking, like, these are pretty reliable, but, like, you still got to, like, wrench some of this stuff down to make sure that it stays. You know, yep. if it were me and I'm playing this as a three-piece set, um, this would be on a, probably on a stand. But um, oh, it's separate arms, right? Yeah, yeah, which is nice. It's a cool kit. This would be a, a fun kit to just smack around. Wrap is actually pretty clean. A lot of the, like this style wrap will crack pretty easily. If it gets wet, though, it'll look real splotchy, you know, because it's so thin. Mm -hmm. You know, if the wood gets wet or gets any type of mold or whatever, staining will show through. There's some like, kind of, I don't know if you can see them, some hairline cracks a lot of times will come like right out here on a lug. And then yeah, this funny. part of the wrap will, will kind of bulk up a little bit. People call that eyebrowing, mm. which is oh. an annoying term. I know, that was a term. You could kind of, this is kind of a rule with, maybe not a rule, but a lot of times the finished drums, like inlay will age differently than the shell. Mm. So this actually looks like it's aged less. I would imagine if it's getting green, a lot of times when blue gets green, it's just because of like a sun type thing. But pretty much even fade throughout the whole kit. Um, we didn't talk about the sizes, general rock sizes, tw uh, 22, 14, 8, 12, 9, 13, 16 by 16. Um, no gaskets. No gaskets. <laughs> hey, they weren't worried about splay back then, were they? Uh, these are kind of, the leg mounts are Ludwig kind of style. And they actually made some mounts that looked almost exactly like Ludwig. Here's the thing with Pearl is they put out some really cool drums in the last couple of years. They did the, the present series, which is the Phenolic. We've never done those. Um, they reissued these a few years ago, too. Mm -hmm. You had a kit that, like that, right? Yep, and they were great. They were really nice. You're really loud. Definitely, like... I mean, these are old drums. You know, like, we were talking about technology, like, we've come a long way with how we make shells. But, you know, the company believed in these drums enough to reissue them, mm -hmm. so. Except this wrap is way cooler than anything that they've done. I know, that'd and be a cool one to bring back. This kit's probably, we haven't listed it yet, but it's not gonna be, like, mad expensive either. So, they're heavy, you know, they're gonna, they're gonna, it's gonna, you know, kinda hurt your back a little bit when you carry these, if, if you're gonna gig, but they'll, They'll sound pretty dang good. Yeah, it's fun. That's a fun kit.
Okay, let's get to a couple listener questions here. This first one is from Jason Farlow, S Hoops, question mark. Are they any good or just a gimmick? They're not a gimmick. There's nothing gimmicky about them. If you don't know what the S Hoops are, um, I guess they're technically a triple flange hoop, but the top, instead of being rolled slightly outward, it's a bigger flange that's almost flat. So you got a, a, like a pretty wide surface area when you hit rim clicks and rim shots. I've used these a bunch. I have them on a couple different snare jumps currently. They're not a gimmick. They definitely do what they do. They make a triple flange hoop sound a little bit more um, chunky like a die cast, but they don't feel quite as stiff and rigid as a die cast. I like them. One thing to consider is microphone clips don't work great on them sometimes because they have to extend a little bit further in. It's just not the best, best hoop to use a clip on mic. Um, also, because that upper flange extends into the head a little bit more, you have a little bit less surface area for certain things. Um, notably, if you use like a big fat snare drum mute, it's gonna be hard to get on and off the drum quickly or even at all if you can make it fit. And then some, you know, some dampening devices just might not be the perfect situation with those hoops, but I think they sound great. They feel great. They do a good job of drying up the sound without making it super choked. Um, yeah, so if you're looking for a new alternative that's not that's somewhere in between triple flange and diecast, maybe leaning more towards triple flange, check out the S hoops. Here's one from Chip Buck. What is your favorite David Garibaldi groove? That is impossible. That's like trying to pick my favorite food. Um, all of them, I think. Probably the one if you if I sat down at the kit and you said play me a David Garibaldi groove, what I would probably do would be play the intro to Squib Cakes. That's the one thing that I kind of figured out a long time ago. Everything else, like back to Oakland, those um, soul vaccination. Gosh, they're all kind of of the same world. So I think it's just a universe. I love it all. Um, and I haven't actually tried to transcribe much of it. I kind of let Garibaldi's thing be Garibaldi's thing. But if there's one that I that I would do an impression of, it would be Squib Cakes. All right, we got one more here. This is from Mark. Any recommendations on how to avoid sympathetic snare buzz from a high tom or floor tom? This is a this is an inter interesting dilemma that I think everyone deals with in one way or another. Um, what that usually means is one of your toms is tuned too closely to where the snare drum is tuned. Either if you're going for a super low snare sound, maybe your floor tom is is just in the is too close to the same pitch, or if it's a higher snare sound, your rack tom might be too close in pitch. So something's got to give. Either have to tune the tom differently, higher or lower, to get it out of that range, or you got to change your snare drum. Um, that's really, I can't think of any other solution in that case. So I would usually either change the tom or remove the tom if I don't really need it since the snare is often the definitive sound for a track um, in, in certain genres. But if it's something that's maybe just having a tighter snare drum overall, we'll get rid of that. Um, yeah, mess with that. That'd be the first thing I would do would be change the tune of your toms. Um, the other thing is usually the sympathetic snare buzz comes into effect when you're trying to have a very tight snare wire sound like if you got the snare wires like particularly tight they'll probably be silent most of the time until you hit that one drum that activates it so you're noticing it a lot more i often go the opposite direction i'll just loosen the wires so the whole kit just kind of rattles and that you know that one drum doesn't stick out is being creating sympathetic buzz because the whole kit is rattling 
So that's something for me in my own psyche is to just go with a much looser snare sound wires, like loosen the wires themselves. Um, so the whole thing kind of rattles and creates like a, like a constant reverb. Um, other than that, you got to change the tuning of something. All right. Hope that helps. If you have any questions for the show, shoot them over to drumcandypodcast at gmail.com and I will do my best to answer them. All right, we've come to the end of the episode, which means it's time for the warehouse pick of the week. I had something else planned, but I just realized um, on Monday that I've used the exact same snare drum and the exact same snare drum head on every gig going back to, I want to say, late March until this past week. Um, so I've got to call it out. It is the Evans UV-1 snare drum head. Um, it looks brand new. The coating is not wearing off at all. There's no dents. There's no chips. It looks brand freaking new. And I'm playing with sticks and brushes and mallets and I'm hitting, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm slamming, I'm hitting moderately hard. It's a, you know, it's like a Motown funk soul kind of a situation um, with some jazz and some, you know, classic rock, but nothing too bashy. But anyway, um, I don't, very rarely does a head last that long, especially when I'm using brushes and stuff. So yeah, if you're looking for a durable one ply head you haven't tried, um, it'll last. Check out the Evans UV-1. That is it for this week's episode. Thank you all for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed all these different segments. Next week, we're going to get into a bunch of snare drum demos with these different Prime Series 5.5 by 14 wood drums. Um, got another shop talk. Got a new interview coming up. Um, what are we doing next week? Zach Danziger. We got him coming on the show. So yeah, the Jam Pack Show. Thanks for your support as always. Always reach out, stay in touch. If you don't mind giving us a five-star rating, dropping some words over in iTunes or Spotify or Google Podcasts or YouTube, wherever you're consuming this show, make sure you're following us on YouTube. If you're not already, hit the notifications button. All the stuff you're supposed to do that they tell me every week to mention um, doesn't go unnoticed. Much, much appreciated. See you next week. Mm -hmm.